Beef Workshop Podcast, episode 24. The, the best youth ministries are unique. They're not all the same. They all have a uniqueness that they like about themselves. You bring the passion. We bring the knowledge. Learn from the most creative, innovative, and experienced youth experts across the globe. Are you ready to take your youth ministry to the next level? If the answer is yes, you are in the right place. The Youth Workshop, the podcast. Here's your host, Luke White. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Youth Workshop podcast. I'm excited, I'm ecstatic, in fact, to introduce our new guest for today, Mark Ostriker. You may be familiar with Mark's work as the president of Youth Specialties, and he is now the founder and partner of the Youth Cartel. Mark, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Awesome beard. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So tell our listeners, um, as I say, a lot of our listeners may be familiar with your work at Youth Specialties and also the great articles that you write for Youth Work magazine from time to time. Mm. Um, but mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to at the moment. Yeah, you bet. Um, yeah, so the Youth Cartel is a an organization that uh, serves youth workers, paid and volunteer youth workers, mostly in churches. And we do that uh, through publishing. We publish about probably about a dozen books a year. I've seen quite a few of those reviewed in Youth Work Magazine recently. Uh, We do training events, (coughs) about 10 of those a year. Excuse me for my cough. I'm struggling with a little. Uh, Yeah, and so we do about 10 training events a year. Uh, And then we do uh, a year-long intensive coaching program for youth workers uh, and a little consulting works too. So we're just a little, a very small organization. There's just four of us on staff and we like to play at the fringes of the youth ministry world. It allows us to be uh, provocateurs and to be agents of change. That's really our desire is to see youth ministry continue to grow and change and not just keep doing the same things. Love that. Your, the byline on your website or the, the subtitle is revolutionizing youth ministry. Yeah, yeah, so, I think it actually is. That's right. Instigating a revolution oh, in youth ministry. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> So tell us, what does that look like? You say you you play at the fringes. How has that actually, what has that actually looked like over the last few years? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, a lot of this really kind of burst out of my own thinking in youth ministry over the last decade as I have seen uh, youth culture changing so dramatically uh, in the last decade. And yet uh, youth ministries are often still uh, operating on assumptions, thinking, approaches, models that were really appropriate in 1986. And so there's, I think there's a need for a handful of, you know, significant commitments in the world of youth ministry. And those include, you know, a, a commitment to change, uh, a, a commitment to experiment, because it's not like there's we're not in an era anymore where we can look for the new singular correct program and then all just do that. That did kind of work uh, back again in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. doesn't work anymore uh, because one of the significant changes that has happened is that youth culture 
has gone from being one monolithic thing to a splintered thing where there are thousands of youth cultures. And so uh, there are some new skills and mindsets that youth workers need in order to uh, move into an approach to youth ministry that's really going to be effective in their own context. So, um, yeah, that's, I mean, it kind of grew out of that and, and seeing so many youth ministries that are run by people who have a great heart and a clear sense of calling and they're good people, right? And they really want to reach teenagers, but they're operating with a set of assumptions and often expectations from their churches to do the same old thing that seemed to work well, you know, 30 years ago. And the the problem is it doesn't really work, at least doesn't work as well as we'd like to think it would. So that, you know, that's the kind of change we're trying to bring. It's not that we're suggesting, here's the new program you're supposed to run. Uh, instead, it's uh, trying to both encourage and challenge uh, youth workers to think in new ways. Yeah. Love it. And how has that been received both by the young people who go through your consulting or your training courses and then by the churches that they go back to to lead in? Yeah, well, the, the honest and fair answer is mixed. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's a mixed response. Um, it's, uh, for one thing, it's not young people, right? So it's not that we are training teenagers themselves. Right. It's, it's youth workers, which, you know, in the States, the average youth worker is a little older than the average youth worker in the UK. Um, and certainly we have a variety. We certainly have, you know, people that are in their upper teens all the way into their 60s. But in so many churches, um, there there's a, there's a wider variety age variety. And I, some of that is because youth ministry is much more, has been more professionalized in the States in the sense that there's so many more paid positions uh, and that the salary is, it's not, uh, you, it's not hardly ever like a two-year contract with an entry-level pay. So people can afford to stay in youth ministry longer and therefore they do. And there's some, there's some downsides to that and there's some benefits to that too. Um, the benefits are that, you know, if you've been doing this for 10 or 20 years, you've stumbled through some of those early years of finding out that some of your assumptions weren't accurate and, and you've moved on into hopefully a place of deeper thinking and, uh, you know, trying new things and, you know, just, and more maturity, um, and all of that, uh, has definite upsides. There's some downsides to that too. People end up getting entrenched or just doing what they did t 10 or 20 years ago um, and uh, you know, not being willing to change too. A lot of that is based on the person's personality, of course. Wow, so how do you begin to address that, uh, the, that unwillingness to change? Um, I mean, you don't, do you, you don't work so much with churches directly I guess it's more, it's more the youth leader or the youth worker or the youth pastor. But um, what what kind of advice can you give us for for those of us who are going back into congregations that really don't want to change? Yeah, those are two good questions. Um, in terms of how we do it, I would say that there's enough youth workers who do want to change that we just focus our attention there. Um, 
So it's, you know, it feels a little bit futile to try to beat our heads against the wall constantly trying to beg, beg people to change if they're not interested in it. Um, you know, we can fire shots across the bow and uh, try to, again, to, to be provocative or to be challenging. You might even say to be prophetic um, and to try to point out some of the the challenges. But the reality is there's enough of that talk right now that we often, the cartel doesn't actually usually have to be the people uh, bringing the message of a need for change. Um, there's enough of that going on because of all the research that's been done uh, in the field of youth ministry in the last decade, as well as because of um, just unrest of youth workers realizing that what they're doing isn't having the return that they'd hoped. So there's enough people who are fertile soil for the message of change. I would say that my personal kind of role in a sense or message when in the tail end of my years at Youth Specialties, I was uh, very much uh, you know, often the voice, one of the voices that was saying, hey, we need to change and here's why it's a problem. Uh, teenagers are uh, very excited about being part of youth group as long as they're in it, but we're not uh, developing ministries that lead to a sustainable faith and they're graduating out of church and out of faith as soon as they graduate out of the youth group. Um, and so in some ways, you could characterize that message as a pessimistic or an alarmist uh, uh, voice. And I, and I think that I'm not saying that was inaccurate, but there are enough voices saying that these days that we've now shifted. And I think it's some of this is my own journey to a place of trying to be more hopeful and saying, great, so what is going well? Where are there places where there's good things happening? How can we lean into new practices and mindsets and approaches uh, that will take us where we need to go rather than focusing on what's wrong? Um, so I would say that's been a personal journey for me um, uh, of finding a new place of hope <coughs> in, <coughs> excuse me, in lots of ways, but particularly in my uh, thinking about the practice of youth ministry. Now, that was to answer your first question, but you kind of asked two and one there, and I'm trying to remember what the second one was. Oh. <laughs> see, there you go. Oh. Down the spot. You see, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes, you know, we just got to roll with it. So we'll we'll let that one go. I'm sure it will come back around if it was, if it was that essential. Okay, so let's look at this idea of, you know, being a agent provocateur, as you say. Um, how has... How, has that been received, um, especially by maybe your fellow colleagues or colleagues you used to have or colleagues who are, who are um, not, not that you've left behind, but who you have, your thinking has moved on and maybe theirs has not. How do you really begin to still remain friends with, with, with people who um, may not have moved with you? Yeah, I mean... In some ways, that's way easier now than it was for me eight years ago when I was more being the voice of, I mean, to put it in a negative way, to be the, being the voice of judgment, right? Or the voice of, the voice that was saying, um, hey, let's uh, sound the alarms because there's something wrong. Because now, as I'm br hopefully bringing, and I think the youth cartel is bringing a message of hope, then um, that's not one that's condemning, right? Right. Um, so my, my, I'm not calling people out, 
right? It's not about saying, hey, avoid that ministry or that person's completely wrong in their thinking. Um, I really think in some ways part of my, again, my own journey on this has been concurrent with <clears throat> the observations that I would say I'm um, making about the shifts in youth culture and the need for us to change. There's been my, the, my own spiritual journey also alongside that. And part of that has been from a place of being dry and spiritually dry and uh, not fully burned out, but maybe close to it. And to a place where I've really um, been rejuvenated and hopeful. And one of the things that's taken place in, in the midst of all that is uh, when I left you specialties uh, five and a half years ago and I started the youth cartel, um, I, these days, one of the main things that I do in the cartel is this year-long coaching program. And so we have these groups of 10 youth pastors in a cohort, and we meet uh, over the course of a year. We've had two, 200 people go through this so far. Uh, we have five, five of these cohorts going right now. And in the context of that, I've spent all of this time with real youth workers in, who are in the trenches every day, trying to figure out how to be true to their calling and in the messiness of their churches and everything else. Uh, and I've seen their hearts and I've seen the real challenges they're facing. In some ways, I feel like my previous role had me in the organizational equivalent of an academic ivory tower. It was, I was serving youth workers, but I was a little removed. And now, now I'm down in the trenches with youth workers and uh, even in places that are a mess or that the youth worker has some very antiquated or wrongheaded ideas or the church does, um, I still see these good people with good hearts who want to do the right thing and have a genuine care for teenagers and want to connect them with the love of Jesus. So, so that gives me hope that even in the places that are doing things wrong, good things are still happening. Does that make sense? Definitely, definitely. I agree with you 100%. So how that, let's talk a bit more specifically about these changing shifts and trends in youth culture that you feel um, youth ministry should be addressing or moving with. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Well, I teased one already that the, I, I believe that youth culture has splintered or disintegrated into multiple cultures um, that the, I would suggest there are thousands of youth cultures these days as opposed to one giant power pyramid. Um, you know, there's an uh, organization in the States, I don't know if they're in the UK or not, called Young Life. And they're a parachurch youth ministry organization that primarily works uh, on um, school campuses, uh, like uh, high schools, secondary schools. And uh, their approach in the 70s and 80s was, their philosophy was very clearly stated as if you reach the key influencers in the school, you can reach the whole school. So it was almost like a trickle-down approach of reaching the powerful and influential and therefore you can reach the whole school. That kind of worked back then. It doesn't work anymore. Uh, the reality is that youth culture is so splintered that, you know, the cheerleading captain and the, and the football team captain, those would be our kind of American archetypes, right, of the influential kids. In the school. Um, the, there's, the vast majority of kids in the school don't care what those people think anymore. There's a little movie uh, that is, you know, 
got a, a, a an adult rating, so I don't know if I can uh, suggest it. The movie Twenty One Jump Street, not not twenty. 22 Jump Street, but 21 Jump Street actually captures this shift because there, there's these young adult cops, policemen, who go back into a school to, to break up a drug ring, and everything has changed f- since they were there as students. And one guy's the big tough jock who was wearing the letterman's jacket and was super influential in the school, and suddenly he's <coughs> excuse me, disoriented because... He has no influence uh, anymore, right? And whereas the you know the the nerdy computer guy, who was a nobody when he was there in uh, as a teenager, now he's this person who has some influence, uh, and that just shows this upending or a splintering of youth culture. Now that's a reality: is the splintering. What has come out of that? <coughs> I would suggest is a significant rise in the need for belonging in teenagers. Um, I characterize adolescence as um, an overlapping uh, reality of uh, the cultural permission to wrestle with adolescent tasks and the the physiological or developmental uh, ability to wrestle with those tasks. So you could say that's nature and nurture, right? And the nature part is God's design. It's a creation intention that we now have the abstract thinking ability and the new intellectual capacity to wrestle with abstract tasks. Uh, and then we have the cultural permission to take some time to do that, gotcha, right? Gotcha. And, those three, and those three tasks are identity, which is asking the question, who am I? Autonomy, which is asking, how am I unique and different and how do my choices matter? And affinity, which is to whom and where do I belong? It's a belonging question. And my suggestion is that those three tasks have reprioritized themselves over the last 60 years of modern youth culture. And with the splintering of youth culture, we've seen a dramatic heightening in the need for teenagers to find a significant place of belonging. Belonging is not a negative thing, by the way. It's a part of our, our the Imago Dei. It's part of being made in the image of God, right? Um, so it's a good and normal and human and beautiful thing, but it's white hot and pervasive for teenagers. They're desperately looking for a place of belonging. I, let, me, let me say it this way, Luke. In, I would say in the like 50s and six, 1950s and 60s, in the earliest ages of modern youth culture, the average teenager was going through life wearing identity goggles. They were looking at the world through the question of who am I? And once they got some sense of an answer to who I am, that would help them answer those other tasks. So who am I starts to tell me where I belong. Teenagers today reverse that. So they are saying, where can I belong? That will tell me who I am. Um, Okay. And that's very important for us to be aware of in our ministry approaches. Um, and one of the biggest questions that it leaves us with is how can we offer unconditional belonging prior to belief? Because today's teenagers want to experience belonging first, then they'll try on our behaviors, and then they'll consider the beliefs behind those. And historically, we in the church have said, first you have to believe like us, and then you have to behave like us, and then we'll offer the opportunity. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Let me give you an 
example, Luke, of where I see this, just to make it um, practical for people. Um, I speak at a lot of large youth events um, on the side. And if I was speaking at a youth event, say, in the 90s, I could pick out the non-Christian kids in the crowd because that they down in front would be, let's say, during it's where I could really see it was during the worship time. So there, let's say during the worship time, down in front would be all of these kids who were really uh, actively engaged in worship. In the back would be the disinterested Christian kids, those who were bur- burned out, right? Pastor's kids. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere in the middle of the room, you'd see a kid, you know, let's say a 16-year-old boy standing next to somebody who obviously brought him. And he'd have his hands deep in his pocket. He'd be looking around uncomfortably. And it was obvious he didn't fit and didn't know how to participate in this thing, right? Um, But that today, that story is very different. I will regularly speak at a big event and there's the kind of worship mosh pit down front, you know, (laughs) um, and I'll see kids, I'll see teenagers down there who are, you know, raising their hands and actively engaged in worship. And I'll talk to them afterward and find out they're not believers yet. And I'll ask them, then what were you doing down in front with your hands in the air and singing full throated songs to Jesus? And their their response is almost always something like, well, I thought it was kind of worth a try. I wanted to see if something was, if there was something real in it. And (laughs) the reality is, again, in a modern world, we understood what's true based on facts, rational, logical arguments. But today in a postmodern world, we understand what's true based on experience. So a, a teenager, again, whether they're a Christian or not, they're defining reality based on their experience. So a, a, a pre-believer, a non-Christian uh, teenager is willing to, tr- in the context of belonging, so right, that kid, they came to that event and they sensed belonging, so they felt safe. And then <clears throat> they were willing to try on this behavior because it provides me an opportunity to feel something and hoping for something that's transcendent that will help me define what's true and real in the world. And so, again, that is showing this progression of I experience belonging, I'm willing to try on these behaviors, and I might discover that there is a belief behind all that that I can live with. Yeah, that makes complete sense. That makes complete sense. And, I, and explains why some people who, can't, who, who don't agree with that or who can't conceive that simply just stay exactly where they are. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, so tell you know, me. Sorry, go ahead. Decreasing results with decreasing. If they stay the same way, then they're, they're probably struggling. The problem is you stay the same way. One of the challenges I found, at least in American youth uh, ministry, is you can continue. If you have enough resources, Yes. Right? if you have budget and staff and a cool place, you can still get what I would call a false positive, yep. right? Yep. <laughs> you, can still, you can still get uh, some hype and some momentum. Teenagers are easy to manipulate, so you can still get decisions and results that look good, but they don't stick, right? There's not, and if we measure that 10 years down the road, you'd find the vast majority of those people are no longer walking with Jesus. 
So that's the question is how can we create something that's sustainable, not just something that look, looks good on an annual report. Oh, you really are a provocative young man, aren't you? Aren't you, Mr. Marco? I don't know about the young part in that sense. <laughs> I'm not young, but everything else I hope is true. <laughs> so over the time that you've been going through this year-long process, what's some of the most the, the positive things that have come out of it? I would say that um, the, one of the most encouraging things that I'm seeing is that uh, youth workers are embracing change. Um, they want to experiment. One of the central things that we work on in my coaching program is helping uh, youth workers lead from a place of values. And uh, those values are, I suggest, need to be collaboratively discerned. Um, so trying to, I, in fact, let me, let me rephrase this. I think that in uh, for decades in youth ministry, we said there were certain skill sets that were critical for a youth worker to have, and we'd say things like uh, communication or speaking ability or preaching ability. We'd say um, event planning. We'd say, you know, relational. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I would say all of those are still true. It's not that those are bad things. Those are helpful. But I don't think they're the most important thing anymore in our current era the two most important skill sets of a great youth worker in 2015 um, are that they have to be able, <coughs> excuse me, to uh, be committed to and have the ability to lead collaborative discernment. Because first and foremost, we need to move toward ministries that are uh, informed by the leading of the Holy Spirit, right? So if we if we're just creating ministries, in ter and, I, and I mean everything from what we teach to how we approach youth ministry to even our program and our calendar and our events, right? If we're just doing all of that based on our own skill, um, then we're going to miss the mark, right? Our, our own skill is not unimportant, but it's secondary to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So, I, And I think that that is not about being Moses and going up to Mount Sinai and having God write values on stone tablets, right? This is about us collaboratively being a people, like a leadership team in a ministry, who will together try to sniff out the leading of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first important skill set. And then the second one is directly tied to the fact that youth, <coughs> excuse me, youth culture has splintered. And that's, <coughs> excuse me that we, um, we need to be committed to contextualization. So great youth ministry uh, leaders in 2015 will understand the critical role of context. And I, what one of the things I've really seen, Luke, is that not only in the U.S., but all over the world, I told you I just got back from New Zealand where I spent uh, a week and a half training youth workers there. The best youth ministries are weird. In other words, <laughs> the, the best youth ministries are unique. They're not all the same. They all have a uniqueness that they like about themselves and that they understand their context. And that's about history. That's about geography. That's about people makeup. That's about, um, uh, you know, denominational or theological leaning. It's about all of that kind of stuff. And how can we Again, with the priority of the leading of the Holy Spirit, how can we create a ministry response that's appropriate to our context? Now, all of that to say, I'm greatly encouraged because I'm seeing lots of people, particularly as I sit with people in our coaching program, I'm seeing people, 
that the light bulb is coming on for them. They are developing with a team, developing values that will become their uh, decision-making grid and their measurements for success. And they're moving forward with experimentation and trying new things. And they're offering meaningful belonging prior to belief and all of that kind of stuff. Well, Marco, you definitely know your stuff. I want to know now, how do you stay on top of the approaches that you take, the research that you do, the the workload of not only just researching, but then reproducing that into programs and, and modules and, and the actual resources that you create? Yeah, I mean, I think probably the most important uh, thing to do is to listen well. So um, that's a big part of how I l- learn <laughs> is listening, listening to youth workers uh, and... Uh, and then certainly I read a lot and, uh, you know, listen even more intently to people who are way smarter than I am. <laughs> so, yeah, I would say listening and reading are the primary two ways that I try to stay on top of stuff. Um, and then my own experimenting. I mean, I'm regularly, whether it's, I, I'm a volunteer youth worker in my church uh, these days since, you know, my day job is training other youth workers. So, I work with the young teens at my church. I have uh, like a small group of 13-year-old boys uh, that I lead. Um, So I'm still practicing youth ministry. I think that's super critical. It's not just that I'm a guest speaker who comes in and talks about something I did back in 1992. (laughs) Um, So there's that aspect. But there's also... um, a, a sense where I'm trying out ideas, right? So I'm regularly kind of exploring in my own thinking uh you know here's something that i needs to be that needs to be thought about more and i'll put it out there in a kernel or a germ form and then let it ferment you know and continue to expound you know my blog helps me do that sometimes because i can uh you know put an idea down and then come back to it and shape it some more and things like that all right great love it tell us now like what the future, what you, what vision you have for the future of the youth cartel and maybe yourself as well. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm 52. So my what? future is, uh, yeah, never. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why the beard is so gray. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, so there's, I mean, I actually am thinking about my future cause I feel like I've probably got about two good laps around the track still, you know, it's not like I've got a foot in the grave, but oh, I'm, no but I'm, you know, I don't have another 40 years of stuff in me, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I, I would love to see, I, I don't know, there's part of me that thinks I'm so pleased with where God has the youth cartel right now. Of course, I'd love to see us grow, but um, I, I'm really happy with, with what's going on. So I don't, I don't feel a need for us to become some huge organization um, you know, with a hundred staff, um, uh, in some ways, I think to do that, we'd have to forfeit our place on the fringes of youth ministry and become more in the middle of it. Um, and I think that would, that would in some ways kill our uniqueness. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would love to see us grow for certainly it right now we just work too hard and we need some more sustainability, but that's just about growing an organization's strength, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, I would love to uh, uh, see us move to a place where we really are. Uh, our our influence right now is small because we're new, 
right? We're only three, we're only three and a half years old as an organization. And so, you know, even things like our reach of our mailing lists and, you know, that kind of stuff is still really tiny. And so I would love to see us move to a place where we have a greater influence. Um, and yeah, hopefully God graces us with that. I'm actually part of your mailing list and I, I, I definitely see the uniqueness of your ministry coming through even in the way you write your messages. I always end up having a chuckle. So um, And I save them as well. A lot of newsletters I just delete, but I actually save the ones from the youth cartel. There's only a couple of organizations that I save. So there you go. That's cool. <laughs> That's wonderful. So, all right then. Well, we're kind of wrapping up now. So maybe just give us one parting thought. If, if this was the last thing you could ever share with us, what would it be? What would you, what would it be? Hmm. Big question. It is a big one. And who knows? We may never speak again. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let me say this. Uh, I would say if there's one thing I could say, it would be, uh, if you are working in a church or even as a volunteer, with youth ministry, do not wrongly assume that your role in ministry means that your soul will be taken care of. Um, and that one of your top, your single top priority as a youth worker is to make sure that your own faith is flourishing. Uh, because great youth ministry uh, is an overflow, right? And if we're not Excuse me. If we're not in a place where we're healthy and growing spiritually, then um, our impact will be dramatically diminished. Um, and so, yeah, that becomes a priority. Uh, that that my own relationship with Jesus is youth ministry. It's not just preparation for youth ministry. And so, yeah, I I'm constantly encouraging youth workers: make sure that you have downtime, make sure that you're pulling away, make sure that you have Sabbath. Um, you know, get some silent retreats, get some uh, time to listen to God, not just constantly be petitioning, um, and make sure that you are operating from a place of hope and wholeness. Uh, and that's, man, just something I've really learned in my own story, and I've um, seen it played out in lots of the youth workers that I'm working with also. Marco, thank you so much for your time today. Maybe just leave us with the best way to get in, in touch with you and maybe even work with the youth cartel in the future. What's the best way to stay in contact? Yeah, I mean, it's basically the two websites. So the youthcartel.com is the ministry website and that has, you know, all our events and products and a lot of free stuff on there too. We love um, free stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then my own blog, which is why is Marco W H Y I S M A R K O why is Marco dot com. Um, so yeah, those would be the two most obvious places. And both of those have contact stuff on them too. And you know, I'm on all the social media stuff, so you can find me on anything from Instagram to Twitter. Yeah, you're definitely on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Marco, and hope to speak awesome, to you again Luke. soon. Thanks a lot. Yeah, blessings on you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Youth Workshop Podcast. Don't forget to head on over to iTunes where you can subscribe to the show so you will never miss an episode. And until next time, create an impact with your influence.